HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Tabard Inn, New American Cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Arway. And, uh, you know, this week, like last week, we're going to talk a little bit about farming. Actually, a lot about farming. Um, I, I know that personally, uh, my little indoor herb container garden is my latest obsession right now, these warmer days. And so I can only imagine that folks with a little bit of a more robust gardening operation uh, are thinking about farming and gardening. Um, so today's guest is the author of The Soil Will Save Us, How Scientists, Farmers, Foodies, and Foodies Are Healing the Soil to Save the Planet. Um, she is uh, a writer uh, who has written for the New York Times, Christian Science Modern, Sinalon. Her work has been included in Best American Science Writing in t- 2011. And she's on the line right now. It's Kristen Olson. Hi. Kristen, you there? I'm here. Hi. I'm here. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, I'm here. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. And uh, great, great book. Um, I, I found this a really fascinating book. I'm not really good at understanding science, but you explain things in a very fascinating and very easy and, and you know very engaging way. I would bring this book to the beach. So well done. Thank you so much. I had, I really had... Uh, so much fun writing this book. I just found the, you know, the the science of what's going mm-hmm. on in our environment, in our soil, that interaction between plants and soil, to be so fascinating that it was it was fun to write. And it, it's so urgent too. It sounds like you you came across a message that you could not help but 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 write and investigate more. And I think that that's really uh, like the driving force of this book is that you found out so many important. Um, connections between soil health and uh, global health. Um, just to, I mean, I know that not everyone has read it, so <laughs> I thought I would quote from a passage, if you if you don't mind. Go ahead. All right. So um, you have met a soil scientist by the name of Ratan Lal. And so, oh, shoot, I lost my place. Okay. You write, when good land management 
practices create a ton of carbon in the soil that represents slightly more than three tons of carbon dioxide removed from the atmosphere. Lal believes that three billion tons of carbon can be sequestered annually in the world's soils, reducing the concentration of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere by three ppm every year. But others with whom I spoke, especially as I got further and further from academia, are far more optimistic about the potential for change. This is still a new idea, they say, and science has barely nibbled at its edges. And then a quote from Lal: "The carbon in the soil is like a cup of water." We have drunk more than half of it, but we can put more water back in the cup. With good soil practices, we could reverse global warming. So, um, really, really intense thesis here, and and that seems to be the message: the soil will save us. It will. It can. It has this potential to reverse what seems like an inevitable crisis, which is global warming. Well, yeah, I think that that is the really exciting thing about all of this. Um, one of the things that I found so interesting um, when I was working on the book is that I did talk to some farmers who think that you know global warming is not is not something that's happening, or if it's happening, it's not because of the carbon dioxide in the mm-hmm. atmosphere. It's you know some other sort of natural process, but they are still interested in building healthy soil mm-hmm. and increasing the amount of carbon in the soil because it's just a, a win on so many fronts. When there's healthy soil, we have healthier produce. We have more productive farms. We have um, land where uh, when it rains, the rain doesn't wash off and erode away. It sinks down into the soil and it stays there and it keeps right. replenishing the earth. There's just everything good but, that comes and- from building healthy soil. And which is a major problem now with so much uh, kind of wacky weather. Um, and it also, doesn't healthy soil also help protect those plants, uh, like produce against against natural pests more, right? Right, yeah. yeah well, one so of the ways good... in which um, really progressive smart farmers are now building healthy soil is that they're, they're keeping, I mean, I, 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 I was trying to distill um, good, soil practices into an easy mantra, and it was Mm -hmm. dense, diverse, and undisturbed. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these farmers are really practicing that. You know, they're keeping, um, you know, how you, you, when you drive through the Midwest uh, and you see cornfields and there's just lines of corn and then these empty areas between them, well, a lot of these farmers are putting cover crops in between those rows and what that does, um, it does a number of things. It keeps carbon, um, carbon flowing into the soil below. If you think of plants are like a, 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 the pipeline between the carbon in the atmosphere and the carbon in the soil. So you need plants there to capture mm-hmm. the carbon dioxide, turn it into carbon fuel, which they use to grow, but they also share it with the microorganisms yeah. in the soil. It's sort of um, feeding your soil. For right, the it's feeding season. the soil. Yeah. And when you have a diverse number of plants there, it's feeding a diversity of, the, you know, a different recipes, if you will, mm-hmm. of that carbon fuel to the microorganisms in the soil. And most of us don't, most of us don't realize how alive the soil is. You know, the soil. Um, I'd always heard, you know, the soil is alive. You know, the soil is a, you know, there's life in the soil. And I always thought of earthworms and mm-hmm. beetles and things like that. But those are the leviathans. Of, of the soil. Really, the most important things in the soil are these tiny, tiny microorganisms, mm. bacteria and fungi and other, and other communities of microorganisms that take that carbon fuel from the plants and 
store carbon in the soil. Yeah, I like how you um, <clears throat> compare the soil beneath us to sort of like a, a vast coral reef. It's just diverse. Right, yeah. So that's one of the things that these soil microorganisms do. They, they, they get this carbon fuel from the roots of the plants, and one of the things that they do with it, I mean, they eat it, that's what they live on, but they also create a carbon glue that holds together pieces of soil and pieces of organic matter deep down. Um, and they're doing that to, you know, create habitat for themselves and to control the flow of water in the soil. But what it does, it, it, it creates this honeycomb structure to the soil. So, for instance, the farmer in North Dakota, Gabe Brown, who was um, somebody, I, I just loved visiting, vis- visiting his farm and seeing all his innovations, but he has changed over the course of about 12 years. He has changed his soil. It's so honeycombed with that rich micro um, microorganism community that, um, you know, 12, 15 years ago, his soil was tested and a half inch of water would percolate into the soil in an hour. Wow. Now he has eight inches of water that percolate into the soil in an hour and it's held down there. You know, he doesn't have to irrigate. That water is just in his soil. Wow. So much easier for every farmer then. And you know, you touched on this a little bit before, but one of the really interesting things to me um, was that, you know, certainly there's a lot of these, first of all, scientists out there doing experiments and research, and but there's also a sort of a new wave of farmers out there who are a little bit more uh, experimentalists themselves, um, maybe college-educated folks who are trying to, to change uh, the farming practices that are going on today. But there's also... A lot of farmers who are latching on to this more sustainable and more healthy soil uh, farming practices because it is productive and they actually couldn't care that much about global climate change and actually there was some statistic from a group of farmers who, is is this correct, about 70% of farmers they predict in the U.S., in this coalition, do not believe in climate change? Yeah, the, the American Farm Bureau, that's, okay. that's what they that's say. What and, you know, they're a very conservative group that is rather tied to that's, agribusiness. Wow. Um, <clears throat> 70%. But there are, 70%. But there are, um, but there are, but that's, that is what's so exciting about the soil health movement, is that mm-hmm. they don't have to line up no. politically and, you know, scientifically with um, what I might believe. They're changing the way they work with the soil. Um, you know, this, this farmer in North Dakota, Gabe Brown, he started changing the way he worked with the soil because everything that he had been, he went to ag school, and everything that he had learned in ag school turned out to be um, not helpful, turned out to be, um, he, was, he was at risk of losing his farm. You know, he, uh, he was... He started off as a conventional farmer applying uh, chemical fertilizers and chemical pesticides and chemical herbicides. He, you know, he did all of that, and he was failing. His land mm-hmm. wasn't resilient enough to stand up to the challenges of our climate now. And so he started, he started changing his practices just because he didn't have the money to buy those chemicals. <laughs> and what happened, though, is, is that he's very smart and very observant, and he started seeing how his land was changing without these chemicals. Yeah. And um, by, by he, he was using his um, cattle to clear, clear the land when he wanted to plant new crops. You know, he didn't, 
he didn't want to waste money on fuel by um, pulling oh his, his heavy machinery right. over the field. So he sent in the cattle. Huh. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the basics of healthy soil management and also no-till farming because, um, well, this is a big topic, but um, it ties into to soil health because tilling is what kind of churns up the soil um, and it's done either by a, a tractor or, or, you know, back in the old days, a, a oxen pulled spades or something digging up the dirt. Um, which sounds very bucolic and very old-fashioned, um, but really um, tilling is responsible for expose or for losing the carbon first of all in that farm's soil, right. and and exposing it to the atmosphere. Right. Uh, it so, was it was really funny for me to to start to understand that because I, I live in Portland, Oregon now, but I used to live in Ohio, and one of the things that I loved seeing was these Amish farmers out in the countryside plowing up the land with these big, beautiful horses, mm-hmm. and it was just a, a beautiful sight. But I learned that um, that people over... That, that the problem with um, unhealthy soil, with soil that's lost its carbon content, started um, millions of years ago. That um, Well, not millions, thousands of years ago, with the birth of agriculture. Okay. When people started plowing the soil, what happens when they when we plow the soil is that we're opening it, it up, that that soil carbon has been put there over the years between um, the plants are catching, pulling carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, they're turning it into carbon fuel, they're feeding that carbon fuel to the soil microorganisms who fix it into the soil. But when the soil is opened up like that, the carbon in the soil bonds with oxygen and just floats away. So... Um, we started having a problem with an excess of carbon in the atmosphere long before the industrial age. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and scientists estimate that, um, I think it's 80 billion tons of carbon, yeah, 80 billions of tons of carbon have been lost from the world's soils. Mm-hmm. And that started, you know, uh, thousands of years ago. That's fascinating. And, and yes, and I, I think Lau points out in the book that there is no natural process that digs up dirt like that. Right, um, there's regularly, no, that opens yeah. up the soil like that over and over and over again. In fact, you know, bare soil, raking up the soil, removing the vegetation, that, that is a hum, mostly a human activity. I mean, you can walk, you can um, go past a mountain. I, I was driving through uh, northern California a couple of days ago, and I went past a, an, a volcanic mountain where the sides were very bare mm-hmm. um, because of the sort of constant rocks falling down. But other than landscapes like that and, and a few others, you know, when you see bare tracts of land, that's a human intervention mm-hmm. and it's, it's damaging to the life in the soil. So what is no-till farming then? Is I understood from your book, but I can't really see it in my head. You just sort of poke the earth? Well, there are new, there's new machinery that's been invented, and I think it gets mm-hmm. finessed all the time, but it's, it's, um, it's a, a machine that's taken over the field by a tractor, but instead of plowing, instead of carving up a big furrow in the, in the ground, what it does is that it just makes a tiny little slit in the ground and uh, pokes okay. in a seed and then pinches that slit together. So it doesn't, it's not that big opening up of the soil. It's a very, it's a much, much smaller disturbance to the soil. So what happens, uh, one of the problems with, I mean, there are many problems with tilling. 
um, it does lose the carbon from the soil. But it also, when we were talking about that coral reef structure, mm-hmm. that the that the, oh, the honeycomb, uh, well, yeah, that honeycomb structure, it it just, it shatters that honeycomb mm. structure. Wow, so that's that's one thing. It it makes the soil dry out, and uh, it it loses. It's, uh, it makes the soil lose its ability to retain moisture. And also, mm-hmm. you know, one of the other really uh, important um, natural phenomena in the soil is, is um, fungi, you know, these microscopic fungi that send miles of, of microscopic threads through the soil, and they're, they're moving, what they're doing with that, they're moving around moisture and minerals and um, plowing also just you know, disrupts those those networks, those really important networks for plants. So what happens when you have um, tilling is that you've disrupted these natural these natural processes in the soil. I mean, there there is this ancient partnership between plants and soil microorganisms um, that goes on in nature. When you look at when you look in a forest or when you look in a piece of undisturbed prairie. You know, you don't need a lot. You don't need fertilizer. You don't need pesticide. Those things are growing very well. Mm-hmm. But some of these mm-hmm. things that we humans developed to do farming disrupts those natural mm-hmm. processes. So one of the really exciting things that I learned is that there are all these farmers and scientists, working with scientists often, who are learning to um, work the land but, but mimicking natural processes. Oh, wow. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, um, as time goes on, you have to till deeper and deeper just to get to the same results that you had over time. Uh, right, yeah. yeah. When so, somebody is tilling the soil, um, because you're breaking up all that, that, that honeycomb structure that's need, in the soil, you're breaking up that coral reef, yeah. so it's shattering and it's compacting. Uh, and, um, yeah, you, yeah, the soil loses more and more of its ability to hold water and it gets compacted. So and what farmers do for that is just start to plow deeper and deeper. And you lose more and more carbon, which gets right. emitted yeah, into a, the a, atmosphere. A completely so more and cycle. more. Oh, my goodness. Okay, we're going to come right back after a quick little commercial interlude, talking with okay. Kristen Olson. The following program has been brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential small hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. All right, we're back chatting more with the author of The Soil Will Save Us, Kristen Wilson. Um, we talked a lot about the problems, how we're doing everything wrong. Um, but this is also a very, very hopeful book. And um, it, it is very inspiring about all the solutions and uh, the innovations and the research that is going on today. Um, 
Okay, so if you could tell me a little bit more about um, some of the science that is being done to to hopefully reverse this, um, you know, this, these practices in soil management. Um, it sounds like Lal is and other scientists are focusing on regions that have been practicing agriculture for the longest in the world, so Africa and other places like that. Is that correct? Well, they have done a lot of research there looking at those um, soils that people have been working for a long, long period of time. And, yeah, those, so, those soils are the most carbon depleted just because people have been yeah. plowing them, plowing them, plowing them over the years. Um, the, most of the scientists that I vi- visited with and the farmers that I visited with um, were either here in the U.S. or in Australia. Um, and... Those were some very exciting partnerships. Uh, that's one of the things that I think is so exciting um, that's in my book, is the partnerships that are going on between farmers and scientists, and, and really, again, this, this, this group of farmers in North Dakota, with Gabe Brown being the kind of superstar farmer, mm-hmm. is always my go-to example. I, I, I wish I could see that replicated everywhere in this country and everywhere in the world, because He's a, you know, he's just a really smart, good farmer, and he has started working with all these scientists who are interested. Uh, once he started having such great results, and mm-hmm. and word spread throughout the county that, um, you know, that his soil was becoming so much better, and that his productivity was so much higher. Um, there, there are san- scientists who started coming to his farm to see, well, what's happening in the soil? What's happening? Um, with plants and the insect communities. Why, why is he being so successful? And so they're studying what's happening in the soil and around the plants to try to understand why he has been so, so successful. I mean, he, at this point, uses no chemical fertilizers. He uses no fertilizers. He uses no pesticides. He uses a tiny bit of herbicide, but nothing like um, what he used to or what farmers generally do. Um, he doesn't use, I don't know if you've ever been out in the country and seen cattle, but lots of them have these insecticide tags stuck in their ears. They kind of hang down like earrings. Mm-hmm. He, doesn't, he doesn't have to use those things. He's, um, he's focusing so much on um, that, that ancient partnership between plants and soil microorganisms, and he's constantly, he talks about um, ter- taking care of two herds, his herd of, of cattle above mm-hmm. ground, but also his herd of microorganisms wow. underground. And he knows that if he keeps them happy, that that's what's really going to make the, the land prosper. And so he has been hugely successful. Um, the the advice that ag colleges mm-hmm. and that, that our government gave to farmers for decades has been, you have to get bigger, you have to get bigger or All else right. you'll fail. He has found that because his management of the of the land is so effective and he's so much more productive that he's um, he's gotten, well. been able to get smaller. He's yeah. really, you know wanted That's to get smaller so that he can pay more attention to the land. And he's you know he his he's more productive in terms of how much he produces on his acreage than the county average. And he's not spending mm-hmm. the kind of money to get that on chemicals um, production. He, yeah. he's not spending it on the chemicals. That's so inspiring. Uh, do you have any numbers on how many farms are are starting to take on these practices? I, I just I, I don't even know uh, like how to 
describe it? Or has there... I really don't, and I'm yeah. not sure if anybody does, yeah. because word spreads. Um, <laughs> farmers will try some things. I think that farmers are necessarily risk-averse. You know, they... Yeah. And as I said before, I think I said before, that um, our ag colleges and our government told today's conventional farmers to do what they're doing, to use lots of chemicals, to plow, mm-hmm. to get bigger. So the ones who are stuck in that, in that um, paradigm um, are, you know, they're worried that if they're not sure how to change things without losing the farm, uh, because that's what they were told. But I think what's really promising is that um, there are different environmental groups who are recognizing the role that agriculture plays in such issues as global warming, and they're working with farmers and ranchers to try to change, help them change their practices. Lots of times they're helping them access funds to tide them over um, as they transition into practices that are healthier for the land and for the food. And... Um, the government, you know, the USDA has some scientists who are working on different projects with farmers. Like in Oregon, there's this area, it's actually not just in Oregon, there's this area called the Palouse in Oregon and um, Washington and Idaho. Hmm. And uh, the USDA's um, Natural Resources Conservation Service is has j- just allotted money to farmers there who make the transition from tilling to no-till farming. Okay. And there, it's, 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 a, it's a three-year program at, at first where they're giving them some money to tide them over, um, oh. to carry them over through that transition just in, case, just in case they're less productive. The, the, the scientists actually believe that they're going to be right. more productive. Right. But they're, they're giving them that money to tide them over, and, um, and there's also a whole big carbon measuring um, program that's attached to this where the farmers are going to get paid for the increase of carbon that builds up in their soil as they work the, work the land without tilling. But it's, it's, just, a, it's just a great, great program. Um, great. When I was talking to the, to the scientist who's in charge of that, who's actually in Portland, Adam Chambers, and he was telling me that, you know, the catch is that the, that the National Resources Conservation Service doesn't have it, they don't have a whole lot of money for this. That was one catch. And the other catch is that if the farmers agreed to do this, agreed to enter this program, they had to swear forever that their land would not be used for tilling. They had to mm. not only say that they would not till, but they had to encumber their descendants and anybody right. who bought the land. And you would think that that would be a deal breaker, but there were far, far more farmers wanting to make that switch than the NRCS had money for. And I think, you know, I think that that's really such a hopeful sign that I, I think really that farmers would love to make the switch to a less damaging agriculture, but they, you know, they need some help doing that. And it sounds like, you know, unlike a lot of other changes, which are fearful, you know, it's, 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 one can be fearful of making changes because it sounds costly. It sounds like this is actually cost saving. Is that correct? It, it will be a cost saving. I mean, there are there change. are um, investment firms now buying up tired old conventional farms. You know, farms where um, the soil is just close to dead. Mm. I mean, it's never really dead, but you know, it's it's very sick soil. And they are f- uh, buying those farms, hiring uh, good land managers who know to con- how to how to work with those. 
um, mimic nature and bring those farms back, bring that, so- bring that soil back to health. And they project that in three years, those farms will be far more profitable than they were when they were conventional farms. Um, so it, it, it's just a win-win in, in right. every possible way to go this direction. And it's, it's just so exciting. It really is. It just makes me so excited to talk about it. Um, I hate to bring up something a little bit more marketing related, but I, you know, with programs like the one you just described, I wonder if there will soon or eventually be some sort of no-till or no-till healthy soil certified <laughs> label on farms that uh, folks can get certification. Because I would want to support products made there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. It, it it does get a little. I mean, I I think that the development of farmers markets, which exist in so many areas, mm-hmm. um, is such a. It, it's so wonderful. It it not only helps um, the vegetable farmers. You know, the people who are producing the things that we actually eat. You know, most U.S. agriculture is not really geared to producing things that we eat. It's those those miles and miles of corn out in the Midwest are, uh, you know, I think 50% goes to making ethanol. Right. But um, I think it's very, I, I feel very good about buying from the farmers at the farmer's market. They're, they're living usually on their own property. They are, um, their health depends on the health of the yes, land. Yeah. And they're, I think more and more of those smaller farmers now are really paying attention to, to yeah. And it sounds like they and it sounds like they may need to just like the example that you brought up of a, of a farm that was failing um, due to the the fact that they couldn't afford these chemicals and these I don't know machinery. So maybe the the proof is in uh, you know whether they're at the farmers market still. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's a really fascinating topic though. Um, it is, and it's a very, it's just really hopeful stuff. Um, you know, when you think about it, when you think of it, that we used to think of our environment as something that started, like, at the soil line and went up. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't think about this whole no. inner landscape, this landscape oh. underground of, of, of um, you know, six, there are six billion microorganisms in a tablespoon of soil. And the, the ground under us is so alive, and I think it's just really exciting and amazing that we've finally come around to realizing that. Thank you so much, Kristen, for bringing to light um, this these topics about the soil. I love the cover of the book, too, because the, the, the title is written underneath the ground, so you can yeah. see the plant. And Yeah. Um, there's so much to talk about this. So the, the idea of photosynthesis, the idea of no-till farming, the idea of carbon emissions otherwise in, in food production, which I was going to mention, I just didn't. But um, it looks like that's about all the time we have for today. Okay. Um, so everyone who is interested, and I hope you are, check out The Soil Will Save Us, just out from Rodale. And Kristen, do you have a blog or a website? folks? Can yes, go I do. Anybody Wait. can just go mm-hmm. to my um you can just Google my name, mm-hmm. and I have a blog and, and a website. Wonderful. Thank you so much, and keep up the great work. We can't Thank wait to you. see it's what you really write next. It's been really fun talking to you. Thanks, and thanks, everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. I just want to testify.